Mac Power Users, episode 584. Everything fades to black. Hello and welcome back to Mac Power Users. My name is Stephen Hackett and I'm joined as always by my friend and yours, Mr. David Sparks. Ah, uh, Stephen, I'm so glad to be podcasting with you right now. Yeah, it's uh, it's always a, a, a great thing. Yeah, it's a feedback show. Got a lot on my mind. I think we got we to gotta get through some stuff today. Yeah, there's a... <laughs> We're not going to get to everything in this document. There's so much stuff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but we'll do our best. But first, we have an exciting announcement. Yes, we do. Merchandise. Ta-da. That's right. So this came up on the uh, talk.mpu forums uh, a few weeks ago, and we were already working on this. Like, this has been something we've been chipping away at almost since the beginning of the year, because what we have put together is really exciting. Um, Yes, it is. Yeah. So uh, the, the first item is... It's look, we're a podcast. We've got to have a, a new T-shirt, but we've gone fancy this time. So instead of you know uh, a funny saying printed or something like that, these are these T-shirts come in multiple colors. It's the first link in the show notes, so you can go check it out. Uh, and it has just the battery part of the MPU artwork embroidered on the shirts, kind of small, like uh, like where the breast pocket would be. And so it's you know it's a T-shirt that is. Uh, it's classy. It's the classy MPU t-shirt. Uh, I am going to buy the entire set. Uh, I just, you know how I'm a creature of habit. I can see myself wearing this merch all the time. So there you I'm go. Gonna buy the set. Well, we got a bunch of colors, so people won't catch on too quickly. Yeah. Uh, so uh, a classy t-shirt. We're really, really excited about that. But the uh, the fun new item is a custom 20-ounce tumbler. It's a Yeti tumbler, so nice, really nice brand. And it is custom engraved with the same battery icon. Uh, the cups are like a, like if you went into Photoshop and you were going to select black, but you wanted like one level of gray up. So super dark gray and the battery is sort of in this like brush metal motif. They look really awesome. But, but here's the deal, y'all. We only have a limited number of the tumblers. Uh, this wasn't a thing that we could just have open ended because uh, they're expensive and the production time was like really long time ago uh, because it takes so long to get these things made. And so uh, the t shirts are for pre order. You can go order as many as you want, they'll ship in a few weeks when the campaign closes. Uh, but there, there is a limited number of mugs. And once they're gone, uh, they're gone forever. So if you're interested in one of these, definitely jump on it now because we expect to sell out. We we kind of picked a number we thought we could sell, uh, but uh, once they're gone, uh, that's it. And I'm telling you, they look so awesome. I think I think everyone's gonna love them. Yeah, it's like space gray, but a little darker. Yeah, yeah. And the you know the reason we did these mugs now they're they're more expensive than your typical coffee mug. And I get that. And if, you know, these are hard times, if you can't afford that right now or or don't want to spend that money, I get it and no hard feelings. But we really wanted to do something better than a podcast coffee mug. You know what I mean? You get these mugs, you stick them in the in the cupboard and, you know, they it becomes something you ultimately throw away. And 
I wanted something that you would be proud to have on your desk. And I have one of these. Um, it's not branded. I'm looking forward to getting my branded one. But it's a nice big tumbler. The Yeti stuff keeps your cold stuff cold and your hot stuff hot. And it's solid. You know, I mean, I don't, I don't know mm-hmm. how to explain it. But it's just a, it's a very good quality tumbler. And if you'd like one... Uh, we didn't go crazy with the Mac power users branding. It's just the battery. So you don't have to feel like, you know, weird at work using it, but you still, you know, you still got your MPU with you and you got your little battery there. So that, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. The, the theme of this set of stuff is classy is the word I keep coming back to. You could walk into a, a meeting with your boss with this tumbler and they never know you're up in your favorite Mac podcast. There you go. And I, uh, and I'm looking forward to getting one myself. So that's just uh, another benefit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, they're really cool, but uh, they're going to go quick. Yeah. Agreed. So we'll have a link in the show notes. We don't have the link as we record this yet, but it's in the show notes. Go get them, particularly the mug. Uh, uh, it would not surprise me if they sell out pretty quickly. Um, uh, but uh, if you want to get one of those, make sure you get in there and uh, check it out. Also, on more power users today, uh, we just got news that Nuance, the makers of Dragon, have been purchased by Microsoft. Yeah, it's actually really interesting. I did a, a bunch of reading today about kind of how Nuance has changed over the years and what this may mean. So we will get into that in the uh, the members version of the show today. Yeah, lots of thoughts. Lots of thoughts. <laughs> okay. Uh, but it's a feedback show, so we have some feedback to cover. And I think we should probably start with Notion. We did the episode uh, last month on Notion. We um, we had you know the Notion expert in. That actually drew quite a bit of feedback in both email and on the forums. I think there was definitely a lot of our listeners that wanted to kind of understand what Notion is. And I, I think we delivered the goods there. But then there was also a lot of people who are still trying to figure out if it has a place in their life or not. Starting with Alexandra, um, one of the things she pointed out that I didn't mention on the show, after all my whining last week about end-to-end encryption and how important it is, we never mentioned in the Notion show that Notion is um, encrypted at rest and in transit. It is not end-to-end encrypted. You can't set your own password and keep your data secure on their servers. Uh, they couldn't, they can't technically uh, get access to whatever you put in Notion. And we definitely should have mentioned that when we did that show. Yeah, it was one of those things that, especially in an interview show, that was a kind of a rare episode where we combined an interview and a deep dive, which I enjoy kind of mixing the formats, but it's hard to hit every point that we mean to. Uh, yeah, so I'm glad that we were able to touch on that here. I wanted to stop for a minute because I, I, I make a big deal about end-to-end often on the show, and that's because in my day job I've got confidential information and I have to be very careful with it. But I never really got your opinion on that, Stephen. Is end-to-end a big deal to you? I mean, do you care? Uh, I, I do care, but at the same time, I definitely use some tools that don't have it. And for me, it's a matter of, you know, what sort of data I'm storing. I don't have the same uh, data security concerns that you do, you know, being an attorney and having lots of confidential information, right? Like I just don't have a lot of that laying around. Uh, but there are there are some tools, um, including a task manager that I'm currently trying out that are, are not end-to-end encrypted. And 
I think for me, I'm willing to just look at this at a tool by tool basis. I know some people don't care at all. Some people want everything end to end encrypted. And so it kind of just depends on, I think, on uh, on where you land on that. But I, I do think all of that said that any major software or service or something like Notion that kind of blends the two, uh, it should be everywhere. It, it should be universal. I don't know why it's not. But um, even though it's not, I'm willing to to go without it if the tool that I use doesn't offer it and what I'm putting in that tool is data that I would be okay with being in that state. Yeah, I mean, it's just like when you think about the stuff that you are storing, you know, like if you're storing Steven's database of all Macs ever made, does it really need to be end-to-end encrypted? Probably not, no. you know. Um, like my field guide research does that need to be in, in, in encrypted? Probably not, but like client stuff does. And I think this is something everybody needs to kind of do their own personal data audit. Like, do you store your tax records in the cloud? Probably not a good idea unless you've got some sort of end-to-end encryption or some way to make sure that someone, you know, with a username and a password can't just download your taxes. Um, so you've just got to think it through. And then you can choose tools appropriately I use DevonThink for storing all of the Max Sparky Field Guide research. And I believe you use DevonThink at this point for all of your research as well. Yeah. Which can be end in encrypted. I mean, they they give you the option to add your own password and it's fully, you know, protected up and down. So uh, you and I have what I would probably call overkill security it, for some people, but to me, it's like appropriate security. And And I totally agree with you. I think that end-to-end encryption was initially kind of difficult, I think, to implement. Um, But it's got a lot easier. And I feel like a lot of these app developers should be making that the goal and trying to get there as soon as possible. Where it becomes a problem for apps is when they do work on your data for you in the cloud. Um, You know, Evernote does that. Notion does some of that. And and like um, craft is another one that like craft allows you to publish to the web and do a bunch of stuff. And they do things where they need to see your data in order to bring additional services to, you know, the software. And, and I don't know what the answer is there, but somebody should be working on it. And, you know, as users, we should all feel like we're safe with our data. And, and honestly, until you're into an encrypted, there's always a possibility somebody can read it at the other end. Right. I mean, Apple should Apple should be working on this too. Yeah, so parts of iCloud are like iMessage itself is end-to-end encrypted, but the iMessage data in your iCloud backup isn't. Um I'm going to have a, a link in the show notes that sort of is an explainer of how end-to-end encryption works, but basically it boils down to is can the company hosting my data read it on their servers? If it's end-to-end encrypted, that means that they don't have a key to it. They all they see is an encrypted blob of something they don't know what's in there but if it's at rest or depending on how it's stored in their server not end-to-end encrypted uh, they do have the ability to to see it now any reputable company will have on their website you know their policies about why that may be the case why they require access to it who has access to it you know but again i think going through your services you use the type of data you're storing on them is uh, a good opportunity to see where this fits in. 
Yeah, I mean, I it's not even just the the vendor that is the concern. I mean, clearly you don't want, you know, some guy in the database department of your service just snooping around in your data for giggles. But also, um, they can be subject to government subpoena, uh, which makes some people nervous. And it's like, oh, I don't want the government, you know, poking their nose in my my data. And then there's always the risk of hackers getting into the data. I mean, we just had a story two weeks ago about Facebook. There was 530 million user accounts compromised with account data, names, telephone numbers. I mean, like the the works. And now that's been published on the, uh, I don't want to say dark web, but it's been published on these rep, you know, disreputable sites that hackers go to. Mm-hmm. And I, I did an article about it at Max Sparky because I feel like anybody who has a Facebook account now can get a phone call from somebody who knows a lot about you and can really sound like somebody that you should be talking to because they know so much about you. And it, it's all a scam. You know, it's ways to get your credit card number, your banking access and all that. And there's just, you know, 530 million people. Well, there's 300 million people in America. So this is a global problem. I even read that Zuckerberg's data got compromised, which is kind of hilarious. <laughs> I saw that <laughs> and I and I laughed at it when I read it. <laughs> but it's a real problem. I mean, we get I, I just I have probably once a week a client call me who received a phone call or got some email that they're confused about the one of the most common ones I hear about is the IRS, you know, the internal yep. revenue sector in the United States. And a client called me say, Dave, the IRS just called me. They said, there's a warrant out. I got to pay them. I'm like, just stop, just stop. This is not the IRS. That's not how the IRS works. They don't just call you and say, we're on the way to arrest you, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but it's convincing to people. And I, I really shudder at the thought of another 530 million phone numbers and account data out there. So that's why into encryption, I think, is a big deal. And and ultimately, we need to have control of our data. And these big companies that are subject to data breach shouldn't shouldn't hold all of our, our jewels. Yep. I feel like I, uh, I'm a bit of a soapbox when it comes to that stuff. No, it's a really important topic. Yeah. Uh, but we did get a lot of positive feedback on the Notion episode. I'm glad in the future, you know, we that's really the game plan for us. If there's something that listeners really want to hear about that Stephen and I aren't particularly invested in, we'll get an expert and bring them in and, and make sure we cover it properly. Um, following the show, I was inspired to set up a Notion database for, you know, Team Max Sparky. As I explained in that show, I currently run my team using base, a combination of Basecamp and Airtable. But my Airtable databases are growing, and I think at some point I'm going to get to the point where it's going to be quite expensive to keep it. But I set it up, and I shared it with the two people on my team. One of them said, oh, this is easy enough. And the other one said, what are you doing to me? You know, <laughs> My virtual assistant is, she has a master. She's very smart, but she's not particularly interested and learning every software platform out there. <laughs> and I decided I didn't want to make it so hard for her. So we're, we're sticking with what we have. But I got my eye on you, Notion. We also got some feedback on contact management. Uh, we spoke uh, several weeks ago about the, uh, the ability of some applications to kind of be turned into a CRM. I think you have some follow-up on that. But 
one thing that uh, that Greg wrote in about, which I thought was really clever, is uh, using the notes field in the contacts app. And we've mentioned that how we can uh, put you know various notes in there. And what, what Greg said is that when he sees friends filling out silly little questionnaires on things like Facebook, you know, or they you know list your favorite color, favorite TV show, book, etc. He copies their responses into the notes field, and when it's time to like buy somebody a gift, he can use that data that he's kind of just quietly collected over the years to be a good gift giver. And I think that's uh, a fantastic, fantastic use uh, of that. So I'm actually copying Greg, and now in, in uh, well, it's in Apple Notes and Obsidian both because I'm still yeah sure in that phase of things. Uh, I'm going to like, you know, if my wife mentions something or, or, you know, other family members, I'm going to start becoming a better gift idea tracker. Greg has inspired me. Yeah. So I've done, you know, for years and I've talked about this on the show, I've used the notes field as my, you know, poor man's CRM where I'm storing data about people I talk to and, and things. And it's great because it shows up everywhere. It's easy to access. I have switched that because as I, you know, I've been using Obsidian since October. I feel like the, I'm kind of invested in the platform at this point. And I've got all these people contacts in it. As we talked about last week, you put double brackets around a person, then you've got a separate page for that person. And it will do backlinks to like all the times you've talked to them, et cetera. But you can also put notes on that page. And I made a, an Obsidian template called CRM. I just looking at it, it's got pronunciation so like if it's a it's a it's a name that's pronounced or difficult for me to pronounce i'll write it out phonetically uh, email company location some of this stuff is already in the contacts app uh, industries and skills interests how we met check-ins referrals i don't use all this data all the time but it's just a it seems to me like a better place to have it there because that's where my you know my uh, crm system has moved into obsidian and it's just a template that just drops all of those questions in whenever I need it. And I don't use it on every contact card. Like, I don't have anything in yours, Stephen. I mean, I don't really need notes on you. I know when your birthday is, but <laughs> yeah. I know where you live. Upsetting. Now is, your, now, is your bedroom, is it in the back of the house or the front yeah, house? I was looking at, at Google Docs. <laughs> Google, <laughs> was it Google Earth? <laughs> <laughs> This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by 1Password. Go to onepasswordcom MPU in all caps to get 20% off your family plan. 1Password is the security app that both Stephen and I use to protect all of our confidential information on our Macs, iPad, and iPhones. With 1Password, your data is locked up tight. Your logins and private documents are securely stored in your password vault, and this keeps your information locked away from thieves, hackers, and all those unsavory types. But the beauty of 1Password is that despite that vault that's securing all your data, you still get convenience at the tip of your fingertips. 1Password can record your usernames and passwords when you sign into apps and websites, and the automatic form filler allows you to sign into your online accounts with a single click, look, or touch. So whatever your security protocol is in your Apple device, they've got it covered. If you've got Touch ID on your little MacBook Air, you just put your finger on the top right corner and you unlock your passwords. It does the same thing with Face ID and Touch ID on the mobile devices. It's awesome. 
And best of all, with 1Password, you keep your secrets safe because you've got a separate vault on your devices with an entirely separate password entry and, and security level. So if someone gets your phone or your Mac and they get into your user account, they're not going to get your 1Password data. It's a separate password. And I can't emphasize this enough because you really need to protect that data if someone gets your phone and you don't have it behind a 1Password vault or something like it, you're in big trouble because so much of your life is stored online and they'll get access to all of that. 1Password is trusted by over 15 million users, including Steven and me, and I love it. I use it every day. It's on my Mac, my iPad, my iPhone, and it's just the place that I put secure data I also love that they have secure notes in there so I can just put text files in there or even attachment files. Anything I need to protect, I've got stored in 1Password, and that's awesome. So what are you waiting for? Head over to onepasswordcom slash MPU today. Put that in all caps, and you'll get a nice discount and sign up for 1Password. I particularly like 1Password for families because I can share it with my wife and kids, and they get the benefit of all that security, and they also develop great security habits at the same time. Once again, that's onepasswordcom slash MPU. And thank you, 1Password, for all of your support of the Mac Power users. We had a, an interesting thread on the forums about, for lack of a better term, the digital afterlife, which just sounds like a sci-fi topic that I don't want to get into. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but but basically the idea here is, you know, what can you do to prepare uh, for your data to live on after you? So when I think about this, I mostly think about two things. I think about photos and I think about passwords, that if something were to happen to me, would the people in my life uh, be able to access the data they would need from my computer or my various accounts? And so the thread is super interesting. I'm also going to put in the show notes a uh, article from last year that uh, Joanna Stern did on the Wall Street Journal called What to Do Before You Die, a Tech Checklist. And there's a lot of good stuff out there. And it, all this really depends on the services you use and how you store your data, all that stuff. Uh, but I think it's an important topic to talk about because we don't want to be in a situation where, you know, just say, for instance, uh, this is hypothetical, but, you know, I had all the insurance information in a way that my wife couldn't have access to it. You know, maybe even accidentally, I just hadn't thought about it. And then, I get hit by a train and she needs to access the life insurance policy. I don't want her to be stuck not being able to get the documents she needs. And that's an extreme scenario, but these are important things to think about because the day is coming for all of us eventually. You don't want to lay be laying on the side of a road and know that, you know, the expiration date is about to get punched and <laughs> worry about, well, how will they even know? how to deal yeah. with anything and how many passwords can I text with my, you know, is my, yeah, you know, everything phased black. Uh, you, you raised an interesting question. Even before we get into the, the meat of this, you know, the, the sci-fi version of this question, the digital afterlife, if you were going to have yourself uploaded oh to an Apple device after, you know, after the bus hits you, which one would you want to be put in? I mean, obviously the 2019 Mac Pro, so my family could wheel me around. 
That's an easy answer. You know what? It's interesting to me how quickly you had the answer to that. See, I was thinking more mobile platform. It's mobile, baby. I, I think I would want to be put into an iPad so in my free time I could fix the user interface. But uh, and then <laughs> oh they, wait, so so your con so your consciousness has been uploaded, yes, and you can go yes. in and like yeah, fix the I, files app. I mean, I'd be like like Hal, you know, <laughs> Stephen. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> you go back like, I have fixed multitasking. <laughs> but I would also have a, a special provision written into my my will that in the name of all this holy, never put me on iCloud because then I'd be screwed. Mm. I'm sure I'd or, get wiped yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, so. <laughs> I did not expect this to go this way. Yeah, today. I, I didn't either. But, you know, <laughs> these are important questions. Yeah. I think yeah. there's really three things you got to worry about. I think, um. There's like uh, security data, like you're saying, you know, passwords and sign-ins. Then there's the family treasures, you know, like photos, videos. And then uh, the actually the discussion in the thread is a lot about like personal journals. Like if you digitally uh, make digital personal journals, like you and I are both users of day one, do you want, you know, your family to have access to those and would they even know how, you know? Mm-hmm. And those are three things that I think stand out. And... um there are some solutions, you know, um, there's the one password emergency kit, which I think is really clever. Yeah. So this is a, um, a way to have your sign in address, email address, secret key, all of that stuff, either as a PDF or printed. Uh, I keep mine in a safety deposit box. And if something were happened to me, and they, you know, whoever it is knows I use one password, they could get into my uh, one password vault and you know do whatever they needed to do. Clearly, this is something you want to guard, right? This is not something you want to like leave uh, in the front seat of your car or you know <laughs> yeah. randomly in your backpack. It needs to be someplace safe and secure. So they, uh, who you know, a spouse or family member or kid, whoever it may be. If they need access to all that stuff, they can uh, they can get in. Yeah, and and you can also like put that with your estate planning documents. Like if you've got like some people have like a safe deposit box, or they have an estate planning attorney who holds their stuff. And I think there's a lot of safe places you could put that if you if you wanted. Another thing I did, which is just real basic, is that both you know we have a, a one password family account. And I know that, you know, 1Password's a sponsor, but this is, um, they're going to, yeah, it's just inevitable to talk about it with this this problem. But uh, Daisy and I have shared each other's individual 1Password logins with each other via 1Password. So, like, I showed her, I said, if anything ever happens to me, you just go in your vault and here's my 1Password login. And I go and update it, you know, every time. I change it. And so something happened to me, she could get into one password, which is really the keys to the kingdom for me. Everything's there. And, and the sec- between the secure notes and the logins, yeah, she'd have access to everything she needed. Yep. Uh, so that, that's definitely something, uh, something to do. If you're, if you're using one password, if you're not using a password manager, uh, which should be, but where people, you know, have it recorded somehow that, Things like your Apple ID or your email address can be can be accessed um, because with those two things, at least for a lot of us, with my email address and my Apple ID account, 
there's not much that can't be unlocked in my world with with those two pieces of information. So, uh, so yeah, that that's a big deal. Um, this thread did make me realize that I w- I don't know how I would pass down or preserve my day one entries, and so actually, uh, just as we were preparing, I made sure that my day one account information. Uh, was in one password and it it already had been. I had just kind of forgotten about that. I was like, oh yeah, you know, I've been writing this journal for 10 years, mostly for me, but what if my kids want to read it one day? Then uh, that's also safe and sound within one password. Yeah. And you can also with day one, just print it out as a PDF and put it someplace on your drive, you know, that people might find it. Um, that's another solution. I like you, I really write my journal entries for myself. I don't really write them for posterity. Although if I stumbled into a journal, my dad had written, I would do anything to read it. You know what I mean? Yep. He's been gone almost 30 years. So it's just, so, uh, it just depends, I guess. I guess I should make that more accessible. I haven't really taken steps for that, but yeah, that that's a very good solution mm-hmm. I, I think also just print print the print the thing into pdf file or even print it out as paper day one also has a service where you can actually print a book out and um and you can put it on the shelf family treasures how about family treasures photos videos all that stuff yeah so for for me uh well for us really for, for both mary and i that's that stuff's all in icloud where we both use icloud photo library she and I have have each other's admin passwords to our computers. We have each other's Apple ID passwords. All of that's via one password. Although at least in her case, I've just I just know what her passwords are. Because usually if she has a problem, she just hands me her laptop and and I fix it. So uh we have access to each other's data sets uh, that way. And if you know something were to happen to me and you know she wanted to uh, access all the photos that I have because Apple's bad at families and we don't have a family iCloud photo account, she could log into my Mac and and export all of those and put them in her library or, or do whatever she she wanted to do. We do the same thing, by the way. I mean, and Daisy is always in my photo library. She's, you know, <laughs> it's a, um, but the, uh, so I think that would be not a problem for us. But just kind of going back to the password security thing, I think you could use the same idea with one password that we were just talking about with day one. If you had somebody that is not super technically savvy, you could make an encrypted PDF of your day one data and then just make sure they have that encryption key and that would allow them to to page through the whole thing or print it out. Yeah, I mean, it's such a flexible tool you can really store all sorts of things in there and it's not just one password any password manager you know would do the same thing another thing that that i do and i'm really curious what you think about this uh is that my off-site backups the hard drives that i clone to every once in a while i don't encrypt those drives now those drives are in a in a secure storage unit thing inside a secure room inside a secure building. So I don't really worry about them being stolen from where I store them. And even if I do, you got to get through like three layers to get into them. But I don't actually encrypt the data on the drives. So it really with this in mind, so if something were to happen to me or or something were to happen to this studio and I needed back my data, it's in as, like, as easy of a way as possible. If you have physical access to it and you have the keys you need to get to it, then you can access the data and I'm kind of 
second second guessing that move now that maybe I should encrypt those and have that password in one password. I don't know if you had any thoughts on that. I would encrypt it, but that's just me. You know, I would encrypt it, but make sure that Daisy has the unencryption key. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and I think at some point, you know, we're talking a lot about our spouses, but it can be a sibling. You know, my brother has access to a lot of this stuff too. And I have a yeah. lot of access to his stuff. Uh, but as we get older, it, it should also, you know, maybe be our kids, you know, like I have passwords, at least to some of my parents' accounts. And over time, I'm trying to <laughs> to gain more of that stuff. Um, yeah. And so, you know, who who holds the, you know, the safety net on the other end? That that will change over time, I think. Yeah, it, it definitely will. And like my kids are getting old enough that they actually have data worth protecting, you know, at this point. And and it's it's been kind of nice because I've eased them into it. And and my kids are definitely more aware of this stuff than normal kids because their dad is a nerd. Um, right. But but I, I think it's also kind of along the same lines of this is getting your kids to appreciate data protection and, you know, portability and things. And so we talk about it and I try to help them put things in place. So they've got backups and and things like that. And someday they're going to, you know, grow up and move out. And I hope, hope they bring those habits with them. You can only hope. Yep. Um, it, it is a interesting question though. Um, you just never know when you're, you know, <laughs> none of us are getting out of this alive. Right. So <laughs> it doesn't hurt to, to have some kind of plan in place to protect that stuff. And it's just so much more important now than it's ever been because yep. so much of our lives yep. are on these things. One of the things I've also done is I've told Daisy um, the names of some friends, yourself included, Stephen. Like, if something happens to me, you know, call Stephen and he can help you figure out how to use all these encryption keys. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if if the person that you're giving this information to isn't necessarily technically savvy, find a Sherpa for them. Yeah, that's that's really good advice. I think that's uh, definitely worth commenting on because... You know, a lot of people, they are, especially people who, like, worry about this stuff and may set it up, they are the technical person in the family. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's like, here's a 1Password password and a bunch of encryption keys. Like, what do I do with any of this? Um, yeah. And it, it is yeah. important. I mean, you know, thinking about how my parents and especially grandparents stored photos, right? It's like a bunch of shoe boxes. I mean, all of that stuff is digital now, right? And yeah. it, it is... It is that is both a, a good and a bad thing. You know, in some ways, it's way easier to make sure this data stays safe because if all your photos are in a shoebox and the house burns down when no one's home, it's like, well, you know, there's the family history. Well, now it's synced to iCloud and backed up with Backblaze and all these other things, but that comes with its own pros and cons when it's time to access them later. The funny thing about it is, if if I you know kick the bucket. For years afterwards, they will find hard drives squirreled away in my house. <laughs> They'll be like, you know, just like getting the Halloween decorations out. I'm like, hey, what's this hard drive for here for? That's great. <laughs> you know. It's also been a while that we've been using Apple Silicon Max. And since it's such a new thing, and I know this is a recurring theme on the show, but but I, I've actually kind of my thinking has evolved on them a little bit now that I've been using them a lot. I thought it wouldn't be a bad idea to just kind of check in on how we're doing with the Apple Silicon. The honeymoon's kind of over at this point. Have our opinions changed? 
I mean, for me, I just continue to be really impressed with both the MacBook Air and the MacBook Pro. Uh, We have one of each in the house, and the hardware is spectacular. I have some stuff I want to talk about the software in a minute, but I'm very curious to see how your thoughts have changed or evolved. Well, I mean, just uh, uh, number one is these computers have ruined me. I can't imagine going back to Intel because... The battery life on the laptops is so amazing. Like yep. the whole strategy of charging a computer has changed for me. Uh, it used to be that, you know, you had a laptop and you charged it overnight. And then during the day, you kept an eye on it and and you charged it as needed. If you had a busy day, maybe you'd plug it in after lunch or whatever. But now with these new computers, the the strategy is much simpler just plug it in the night before you intend to use it. If you're going to use it every day, just have a place you can store it with a plug. And in the morning, unplug it and don't think about the battery again until you go to bed and you plug it in again. It's more like an iPad strategy, really. Totally, and totally. That That is totally different for me. And I don't think, like, I recorded, this is my second podcast I've recorded today and. I don't have it plugged into power. I'm not sure if I'm supposed to say that to you or not, but <laughs> it just, you know, the thing just runs all day and it's, a, it's amazing. So that, that's great. I have a confession. I, uh, I bought a Mac mini. So now I have two Apple <laughs> silicon. So is the, I couldn't Mac, take it, man. the Mac mini hooked up to the pro display? Yeah. I mean, I just, just couldn't take it. I didn't get a super expensive one, but I just like with all my backups going on all the time and me moving, you know, I'm sitting at that computer all day, but then I jump onto the laptop. I just, the whole process of plugging it in and getting, I was finding issues with like trying to keep the keyboard working and yeah, it was just enough frustration. And I realized that that was dumb to buy a second computer for frustration level, but I'm eventually going to want one anyway, and I think the resale value on it will be pretty high. You know, whenever Apple comes out with the thing I really want on my desk, I'll sell it back to them. So, but And that's working fine, although the Mac Mini is having Bluetooth issues, and I had heard this from some listeners before I bought it. I don't experience this with the laptop because I rarely have Bluetooth plugged into it. But with a Bluetooth keyboard and trackpad, uh, occasionally they just drop off. And sometimes I can restart them from the menu bar icon, but more often than not, I just need to restart it. So mm-hmm. I find myself restarting it like once a week, which is unusual for me um, to have to restart a Mac that often. Yeah, I've heard this from people even using notebooks. Like Mike Hurley uses a, a 13-inch MacBook Pro kind of as a desktop replacement, and he's had some issues. I, I was hoping they'd have this strained out by now with Big Sur, but you know maybe it, there's something more more going on. But I can't say I'm surprised by this change because I think ultimately you're a desktop person just like I am. And, you know, but we both still need notebooks because our, our you know, we work at home and you need flexibility with that. But uh, having a Mac that's always there, always doing stuff in the background, it's just so great. And yeah, no matter how good, you know, the M1 MacBook Pro is, I'm not tempted to make it my only machine because I like having this desktop setup that, you know, never changes and never moves. And that's, that's important to me. Yeah. So I, so that's, so that's going on. Um, but the, the Bluetooth thing is an issue. Uh, and I hope that I feel like it's a software issue, not a hardware issue. So I figure they'll get that ironed out at some point. Um, the, uh, with Daisy's MacBook air, uh, I, 
I regret using migration assistant because migration assistant didn't work the way it's supposed to. It, it, it like there's data missing and it just, you know, and it, it brought over a bunch of older software that she wasn't using anymore. If I had that to do over again, I would just wipe that computer and start from scratch, but it's my wife's computer and that's not necessarily going to go over that well. Yeah. <laughs> you know, where, where I'd be willing to put up with it, she's not. So I'm not going to do it. But we've kept her old computer around. It has zero resale value. I mean, it is, I think, 11 or 12 years old. But so we're still like occasionally running into some data pockets that she's missing and I'll pull it off the old one. But hmm. I figure within a few months, we'll kind of have that sorted out and I can recycle that computer. But um, overall, I mean, battery life is amazing. The performance is amazing. I get render speeds. I just did a thing. In fact, I, I should have said this at the top of the show, but Hazel Field Guide got an update. It's a free update. So if you own Hazel Field Guide, uh, because they came out with Hazel version 5, I added about 35 minutes of video and like 15 videos to it and just kind of showing the new features and the new interface stuff. Um, but it wasn't enough to make a new version. So I just did a free update, but I, I did, I rendered all those videos on it just as fast as I would on the iMac pro. It's just like the performance stuff is, is crazy yeah. for the low end device. I can't imagine what it's going to be like when they get the high end devices out. I, I do want to talk a little bit about the software on Apple Silicon Max and not big Sur itself, but one of the promises of, of Apple Silicon is that you can run iOS apps unmodified on on the Mac. You know, we still have Catalyst, which is taking an iOS app and tweaking it for the Mac, and they can run on either Intel or Apple Silicon Macs. But, uh, you know, for me, and, and granted, my main machine is still an Intel Mac, but I haven't really found a lot that's really stuck with me. I think for uh, a, a few reasons. A, a lot of developers have opted out of it, which surprised me. Uh, I think maybe developers want more control over the experience and may opt for Catalyst in the future and are holding off on just running the iOS version on the Mac directly. But uh, it feels too like there's still so much that's sort of weird about them that, you know, I I, I don't know. Uh, what, what do you think about this? Are you using a lot of mobile apps on your M1 Macs? Barely any. And, um, you know, and I know people are using more, but it's just, the two that get regular use for me are Dark Noise, which is a noise generating app. And there's other apps out there, but I just really like the way Dark Noise works. Same. So I've been using it forever. And I've been food tracking. And in fact, I, I just put up a blog post this week about this app called Food Noms because I don't know what happened, Stephen. When I first got my iPhone and they had apps, I got into, there were several good like calorie counting food tracking apps out. And like over the course of years, they all turned into like monetization apps, right? You mm-hmm. load them up and they want to sell you stuff. And they and it just, everything was like, it just, and you, you felt like you were becoming a product. You just know that all your calorie counting data is being sold somewhere. And I just got tired of it. And then I found this great app called Food Noms, which is just a real basic food tracker. But Fortunately, the um, the developer has made this app also available on M1 Max. So I just keep it in a small corner window. So as I snack through the day, I can track my food. So, to, you know, I guess a long answer. I'm using two. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, I, I do wonder, we, we spoke about this last time on more power users. You know, I feel like Apple is going to do some stuff to make this more compelling for developers to use because, 
in a way, like Apple's big vision of the future is you have one application that can run across all of its platforms. And I kind of get the sense so far that Mac users are like rejecting this uh, a, a little bit. Now, the caveat is the people who most of the people who have M1 Macs now I, my guess is they're kind of early adopter type people because most people just buy a new MacBook Air every six years or seven years or when they spill coffee on it or, you know, when they give it to their kid to go to college or something like that. And so maybe the people who have jumped on Apple Silicon early are like not the type of users who want iOS apps and who really care about the differences. And the truth is in, you know, three or four years when Apple Silicon is much more broad out in the market it won't matter as much. I don't know. I just, I'm very curious to see how, how all this plays out because I don't think they're off to a great start. I think the battle is going to be won or loss in the slot machine category. You know, <laughs> there's <laughs> a whole bunch of apps that a lot of people just run on their phone all the time that are just like goofy time wasters. And I could see that being a real attraction to people who put stuff like that on their Macs. And for me, I have like zero interest in any of that. Yeah. Well, uh, man, I just, I'm ready for for more. I'm ready for more yeah. Apple Silicon Macs. Bring them on. I mean, every time the topic comes up, it's just like we inevitably, de- you know, devolve to we want the rest of the story. Yeah. I mean, what What are we going to get? What's the options? And yeah, I, I feel like uh, probably WWDC will be the next time we get some additional information. But uh, I really wish Apple would just tell us the whole story. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by Text Expander from our friends at Smile. With Text Expander, you can keep things consistent and accurate. In our fast paced world, things constantly change, and errors in messaging often have significant consequences. Text Expander lets you make new approved messaging available to every team member instantly with just a few keystrokes. Ensuring your whole team, whether local or remote, stays consistent, current, and accurate. Get your message right every time. Expand content that corrects your spelling and keeps your language consistent with just a few keystrokes. Your team members will consistently know the right message for the right person at the right time without relying on faulty things like memory or copy and paste. Listeners of Mac Power users get 20% off their first year. Again, let me tell you, I could not do my work without Text Expander. I do a bunch of the support for the Relay FM membership, and Text Expander comes invaluable when I need to send links or certain messaging. Really makes that job much more consistent. So, like I said, show listeners get 20% off their first year. Visit textexpander.com slash podcast to learn more about Text Expander. Our thanks to Text Expander for the support of MPU. So, Stephen, uh, another question for feedback was about Apple One and uh, App Store subscriptions. But Apple One's been out a while now. We've got listeners that are wholly embracing it, some of them that hate it. Where do you stand and and are you using it? Yeah, so Apple One is their bundling of really six different services, Apple Music, TV+, Arcade, iCloud Storage, Apple News+, and Apple Fitness+. Uh, we are signed up for it uh, initially because my wife wanted to check out Fitness Plus. It ended up not being for her. Uh, she found uh, another workout app that she, that I think resonates better with her. 
And so really what we're using is Apple Music, Apple TV Plus, and iCloud. I don't use Apple News, let alone Apple News Plus. I don't use Apple Arcade. Uh, we're still paying for it, though, because I'm actually getting ready to try Fitness Plus for the first time. I actually just a few days ago got like the final thumbs up from my foot surgeon. You know, I had surgery back in the fall and it was like a six month recovery and I'm finally done with all that. And he finally was like, hey, yeah, you can do what you what you want to do. And so over the next few weeks, uh, I plan on trying some stuff out in Fitness Plus. And if it doesn't work for me, we will drop Apple One and just go back to paying for the iCloud space that we needed and then Apple Music. But we will um uh we'll see how that how that goes. You know, for me I'm paying for some stuff that I'm not using. And if we're not using Fitness Plus, uh I will definitely back down from the the tier that includes that. Yeah. I think the real trick is just to look at what you're using. I mean yeah. The fitness plus value comes out when it basically gets you one of the services for free if you look at the the numbers. So if you already want, you know, music and news and games and why not get fitness plus for free, right? Um, the But it's just a question of how much you use that. Um, so we've been using it and my kids are older and we're in the middle of a pandemic. So we're all sitting around the house using all of the services. I mean, one of my daughters is super into the arcade, the Apple arcade stuff. Uh, so much that I had canceled it. And then she asked if we could resubscribe because she wants to use it. And uh, so we went ahead and, and resubscribed. This is before Apple one. And I actually find some of the Apple one games kind of right up my alley. Everybody's making fun of the fact that a lot of them are like cutesy strategy games but that's actually what I like to play, you know, cause they're easy to jump into. Like you, you give me a game where there's like a laser that you have to bounce around mirrors. And I am in every time, <laughs> every time, but either way. Uh, so we're kind of into it. And then we were going to a gym. I mean, there's one in the United States called orange theory. And there was one down the street from our house. And when they opened up, they had like a, a founder's deal. If you signed up at the beginning, they give you a significant discount. So we were using it, but it was still expensive. And then, of course, when COVID came, the gym shut down. And to tell you the truth, I was never super happy going to that gym because, you know, some of the coaches were great and some of them were like the in-your-face coaches, which that doesn't work on me. It just makes me want to leave. And um, and the music was really loud and it wasn't my taste in music. So it was just, you know, I was kind of mixed about it anyway. So... When Apple Fitness Plus came out, we all started using it. And my family is like 100% in with Fitness Plus. I mean, so much so that like at the dinner table, we're like, hey, how do you think Bettina's pregnancy is going? You know, like the the the, co the individual coaches, we now like talk about them, you know? <laughs> so yeah, I, I think that Fitness Plus landed at the Sparks house. The, the downside for me is that you can't have multiple people doing the same workout or at least tracking it with the same convenience. Like it doesn't put two Apple watches on the screen. I wish it did. Cause sometimes we do them together, but it, you know, all you can do is, is like the second person can record a workout. It's not the same thing as the fitness plus integration. So I, I hope they get multi-user support soon, but I actually find that I really like it. None of the coaches are in your face. The music is better. Uh, whether you've got 10 minutes or 30 minutes, there's a there's a workout for you. 
And um, I do it almost every day. You know, it's like um, kind of a routine now. And I, I like it. Yeah, that, that's encouraging. I'm looking forward to to trying it. Um, yeah, I think I think your advice of just look at what you're using. Um, you know, looking at this, we could go back down to the family plan and save 10 bucks a month really easily, uh, except for the iCloud space. We need more than 200 gigabytes. And so I've got to add that back on. So I just need to sit down and like, see if fitness plus works for me and then go from there in terms of, uh, what we'll end up spending. Well, fitness plus to me, as someone who used to be, uh, go to a gym is like right in that happy medium. And if you go, if you like the social element of working out, talking to people, this is not going to do it for you. But, um, if you just want to kind of get the workout done and be able to do it anywhere, I, uh, I, I think it's at least worth a try. And then with all these questions about Apple One, then it got me thinking about subscriptions and and something we haven't really talked about on the show in a while. So I thought it'd be fun to check in. And there's so many ways you can subscribe to stuff these days. I don't want to go through the whole thing, but let's just focus on the App Store. What are you subscribing to in the App Store these days? Yeah, so I went into the App Store tab, uh, you know, in the subscriptions area and looked through this. And so for me, it's um, uh, Carrot Weather course which we've talked a lot about on the show it's fantastic uh gift wrapped which is a sounds so silly but i love it uh it lets you sync a library of gifts to your phone and save them offline and stuff uh written by our friend jelly um day one overcast which i subscribe to so i can do the uh, uploading from the web because very often i need to listen to something that's not public yet and that's the easiest way to do it Nomo Robo, which is a caller ID spam filter that sort of works. I need to reevaluate that one. I feel like I, I want to ask you about that. Yeah. Is it worth it? I don't know. Um, and I don't know if there's better options. I feel like I'm getting more calls and more calls coming through that it's not catching. So that's like, that's something I'd love to hear on the forums. If someone has a call screening junk call app, that you have found to be better than Nomo Robo. I'd love to hear about it. I, I've, I've used this one for years and maybe again, there's just something better out there that I'm not familiar with. But when I was putting this list together, I realized this is something that I need to, to probably reassess this year. Uh, I pay for headspace, which is a um, meditation app uh, do for reminders. I have a few things that I want those nagging reminders for and do is the best app on the planet for that. I only have a few things in there, but it is the perfect uh, tool for certain types of reminders for me. And then uh, the last three are deliveries, the package tracking app. It recently switched to subscription, uh, and I moved over uh, to that because I use that absolutely all the time. TweetBot 6 is in here. It's the new iOS version of TweetBot that uses the new Twitter API. I have been bouncing back and forth between TweetBot and the official Twitter app for quite a while and I, I have pros and cons to both, but I'm giving TweetBot six a try. And um, you know, if you don't want ads in your Twitter app and you want sort of the more traditional use case, TweetBot still provides that. And TweetBot six is a subscription, but they are adding features as Twitter makes them available in the in the new API, which they're rolling out features over time. So, uh, so that's a new change for TweetBot, but, uh, I'm giving that a shot. Uh, and then lastly, I have, uh, 
also been using a new task manager called TickTick, which I've talked, spoken a lot about this on Connected, and we're going to talk about it again in a few minutes. But it has a subscription, uh, and I'm checking that app out right now and uh, have a subscription to that as well. But that's uh, that's it. I went through maybe, I think the last time we did this, that really prompted me to go through and clean out stuff that I wasn't really using uh, or things that I could consolidate and, and got rid of quite a few. I am constantly trying things out for the show. So I end up with a lot of like short subscriptions. <laughs> so, but the stuff I'm, I like use and am looking at right now, I'm, I'm doing a test right now with PDF viewer, which is a, a mobile PDF app that I'm interested in. And I covered it in the paperless field guide. So I have a subscription for that. Just like I'm testing Moleskin Journey, which is a very attractive calendar app um, but that we've never talked about on the show, but I'm not sure if I need it or not, and it's kind of expensive, so that'll probably go. Apple One, I'm in. Uh, YouTube, I you know, I just in the last six months have subscribed to YouTube where I don't get ads anymore. Oh, yeah, same. I didn't even think about that, but yeah. Yeah, but I do it through the App Store. You probably are doing it on online. But the uh, same thing with Office 365. I subscribed to them through the App Store ages ago, and I still do. Uh, it's interesting in your subscriptions now. You see your Apple Care Plus stuff. That that's kind of funny. I didn't know that. Um, uh, before there was Fitness Plus, there was an app I was trying out called Fitbod, mm-hmm. um, which you give it a list of all the gear you have, and then it makes a workout for you. And the, I was using that, um, you know, after the pandemic started and I would just like watch YouTube and do the workout, but I actually find the, the coach in fitness plus and kind of the way they just kind of keep you moving through actually work out better and harder with fitness plus. So I, I've given up on FitBod, but I still have a little bit of time left. Instapaper I'm going back and forth on, I did a post on it at Max Barkey where reader has gotten so good. The two ease reader and now it has its own read it later service. I can't make up my mind whether I need to keep Instapaper or not. So I'm going back and forth on that one. Do as well. Timery, which uh, we've talked about plenty. Food noms, which I talked about earlier. Um, Unread, I still have a subscription for them, but I'm thinking about it. Um, the 2E reader app. Um, MindNote has a, for Mac, has a subscription. So I have that. Carrot Weather, which... You may have never heard of because we never talk about that app. <laughs> Day one drafts. Um, Swift Scan is an interesting one. It used to be called Scanner Robot or Robo. What was that called? This app has had three names. Scanbot. Sc- Scanbot. Yeah, and then it got. Then it was like Scanner Plus, and I featured it in the paperless field guide, and then it got like bought or something and the subscription's gone way up. I'm like, I'm getting the process of pulling it out of the field guide and looking for replacement apps, but I had subscribed to it and that's going to, I'm going to turn that off. Uh, fiery feed. I subscribe to for the show, but I don't use anymore. Push cut. We talk about this on automators all the time. It turns your iOS device into an, uh, automation server. It's very cool. And, uh, if you like automation, that's a great one. And and I use Headspace too, though. I think I'm going to let that expire because the way I meditate, I don't really want someone talking in my ear. And I think that I probably don't need that yeah. that expense. But either way, uh, yeah, so I've got quite a few here. Yeah. It's part of the job, checking out new things. So I definitely have things that come and gone. You know, my list of expired subscriptions is like a mile long. It's like keep scrolling, keep scrolling, things I've tried over yeah. the years. 
But what I would recommend is like, if you have a task manager, set up a repeating task, like every six months to just check in. Yeah. Apple makes it very easy for you to see where you're subscribed and um, subscriptions that are ongoing and going to renew and subscriptions that are going to expire. And it wouldn't be a bad idea to, to check that out. I mean, it's really easy. It's on the on the phone. You just go to your user account and tap on the subscription button. You know, yeah. So. Apple's done a good job at making that easier to get to over the years. It used to be really buried. In fact, I used to have a shortcut I would run to open it because it was so buried in the App Store. Yeah. Do you still do that, or do you just um, run it? Nah, let's go to the App Store and click the. Yeah. You know, it's it's easy. So last time uh, we spoke about your project status board. Yeah, you wrote in. Um, you created an omnigraphle, and oh boy, this has created some feedback. We now are up to best I can tell three blog posts about it. So tell me about what's going on here. Yeah, I you know it, it's been a very weird experience because I always write about things I'm trying out, and I figure that's kind of the Max Barkey thing, and you can pick and choose. and And some people were really into the idea of a personal status board, but I've never had so much negative feedback from people telling me how dumb I am. And (laughs) this one, for whatever reason, just really set a bunch of people off. But so what I did was I created in a graphics program, like a a hand-drawn Kanban board, you know, and, and it's just a way I can look at one screen and see all of my pending projects. And, you know, part of it's because I have this gigantic monitor, but with, with OmniGraffle, they have a thing called preview mode that'll kind of, it's almost like a presentation mode. So whatever, you know, graph you've made will fill the whole screen and all the links will be active. And I just keep it as the right screen. Like I have a second screen and you hit, was it control right arrow and I can go over to it or swipe to it, but it's just a very easy way at any one time to see my various projects. And I explained the first time I wrote the post about it that, you know, I looked at other options like, um, you know, Trello boards or something like that. But what I really wanted was one screen to have everything like field guides, legal projects, Max Sparky projects, podcasts, personal tasks. I just wanted one screen that basically had a bunch of different, you know, areas with everything. So I don't have to like switch between them. And, um, and the the complaint a lot of people gave me was that I'm just I'm just doing busy work. I should be doing the projects instead of making these boards. And um, I kind of get that, you know. I, it took me a couple hours to figure it out the first time I made it, and that's time I could have spent doing work rather than goofing off. But to a certain extent, for me, that is work because I can share the experience with the listeners, but also the maintenance of this thing really doesn't take long. It's a box that I put a link on. And then in the end of the day, I, I take it out of preview mode and I move the boxes around with a mouse. You know, like if I finished a project, I'll delete it. Or if I put something, if I kicked it back to the client and I'm waiting for a response, I'll move the box, you know? So it, it really takes very little time, but it just got a lot of people worked up. And I, I just really wanted to think through why people were, were worked up about it, you know. Maybe they felt like I went a bridge too far. I'm not really sure. Who knows? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just like um, I, the the final post I wrote on this, and it will be the final post. So it's okay. You guys don't need to write me anymore about this. It's all good. 
Um, but just the idea of useful complexity, you know, is that, you know, we all want simplicity, but sometimes it's useful to be a little more complex. And the problem I was trying to solve with this was even though I have um, projects flagged in OmniFocus and I have tags in Obsidian, I still didn't feel like I had my arms around everything I'm doing because I actually do quite a bit and it's easy to forget about something. And this visual representation of it all like really puts my mind at ease to just switch over there and see it all at once. And uh, so that's why I did it. And I understand it takes a little bit of my time, but it, it, it pays off for me, but it may not pay off for you and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love that you go out and experiment with things, even though this is not something that I necessarily feel like I want or need. I think it's fascinating that, that you go down these roads for everybody. Yeah. Well, I mean, Law practice, three podcasts, two field guides in production, kids, you know, just before you know it, it's kind of hard to keep track of it all. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by DevonThink. Get organized and unleash your creativity with DevonThink. Best of all, go to devontechnologies.com slash MPU to get 10% off. DevonThink is the flagship product of Devon Technologies. DevonThink is the most professional document and information management application for the Mac. It's the one place for storing all of your documents, snippets, or bookmarks and working with them. The integrated AI assists you with filing and searching, while the extensive search language with advanced Boolean operators is there to help you out. DevonThink is super friendly to automators. It has smart rules and flexible reminders that let you automate all parts of your workflow and delegate boring repeating tasks. Let DevonThink automatically organize your data with the rules that you define. DevonThink is also excellent for the security-minded because you can sync it any way you want, including just on your local drive or system. You can add your own password before things get synced, and you know that you are always in complete control of your data. And of course, there's so much more, from an iOS companion app to email archiving, scanning, or even an embedded web server for sharing your data securely with your team. I'm a big fan of DevonThink. It comes up on the show quite a bit, but I just love the way it is so aimed at power users because you have those benefits of security and accessibility. Everything in DevonThink is a URL link, so you can easily link to specific documents or groups of documents. They've just thought it through. You know that people that love the Mac and use the Mac every day are the people making the app because it's built with love and it, it just comes through with the way you use the application. I really like the way it automatically sorts my documents for me. It's just the best document depository app there is, and it doesn't rely on any creepy cloud technology. It's all Mac native technology. It's it's awesome. Best of all, you can get 10% off DevonThink 3 or upgrade to it right now. Just go to devontechnologies.com slash MPU. Once again, that's devontechnologies.com slash MPU for 10% off. Our thanks to Devon Technologies for their support of the Mac Power users and all of RelayFM. I thought it'd be fun, Stephen, to talk about some new apps. You know, uh, you and I are always trying things out, kind of to continue the theme. But there are two or three lately that have been on my mind a lot, and I thought it'd be, be interesting to check them out. You've already mentioned TickTick, so... My ears are perked up. What is TickTick? 
Yeah, so it is a uh, a to-do list application, not super dissimilar from something like Todoist. So this isn't like things or OmniFocus that are like super built to take advantage of everything the Mac has to offer. They're big cross-platform apps, uh, sort of mass market, as opposed to something like Things or OmniFocus, which is more focused and more t- finely tuned for the Apple platforms. Uh, but I've used Todoist for years, and part of it is every once in a while I just go, you know, you do this with mail applications, I do it with to-do list applications. I'm just going to wander around and and yeah. see what's out there. And, out into the wilderness. <laughs> yep. Uh, and I tried TickTick like five years ago, and it was a hot mess. And I was like, well, you know, let me see how it is, uh, see how it is today. And it is, like I said, not hugely dissimilar from Todoist. You know, this isn't really a project manager. It's not something like OmniFocus where you have a bunch of different uh, perspectives and filters you can overlay over your your library of tasks. It is basically uh, a task list application, uh, which is more in line with how I think and, and how I, I tend to work. You can do custom lists if you want. Uh, you can do filter. Uh, you can do filters on tags and repeating tasks and all of that stuff. But I've I've really come to like it for a few reasons. Even though it's not like super native on the Mac. I mean, Todoist is literally a website in a wrapper, and at least the TikTok app is native. It's just not a great great native app. Uh, I think it's it feels better than Todoist does. But it. Um, one thing that it has that I've really come to enjoy is the notes field on any task is just a box where you put mark, markdown. Yeah. And nice. I, I write in markdown all the time, even like in field notes. Uh, I have a tendency to like write in markdown with header, you know, marking headers and stuff. It's just, you know, it's the way I've written for so long now. And I've really come to like that. Um, and it has, uh, sort of a leg up on Todoist in terms of, in my taste, in terms of uh, aesthetic and design. And it has everything you would expect, like on iOS, where you get Siri integration and you get some nice widget options. It has, um, the UI is not super customizable, but it does have features that if you don't use them, you can just turn them off. Like it, it, you can also use it to track, like if you're trying to build habits and, that's not something I want in my task manager. And so I just turned that feature off and it disappears from the UI, which is nice. Uh, and yeah, so I've been, you know, I've been using it for about a month and um, it's too early to say if this w- would take over from Todoist. I mean, I'm using it full time, but so far uh, I've really been pretty happy with it. If you're big into Todoist because of its natural language processing, where you can just type like you can in Fantastica, right? Name of a task date every third Wednesday or something. Tick Tick's engine for that isn't as mature as Todoist's. Uh, Todoist is the best task manager I've ever used in terms of natural language entry. But it's pretty good. It's good enough. And it's it's UI for setting up repeating in tasks and stuff, I think is more clear than Todoist's. Uh, Todoist sometimes leans too hard on the natural language entry and doesn't give you like really clear UI on like, I want it to repeat this day and this day. It just expects you to type it. And sometimes I want to actually see 
how this is going to work. So I can type it or I can go through the UI. And so in some ways it's a bit more flexible, but, uh, but yeah, that's where my tasks have been for a while. And so far so good. Yeah. Yeah. I think the reason you go into the wilderness on task apps is because you haven't found one that really scratches the itch for you. And that's kind of the same case with me and mail apps. I mean, the, the, there's a reason why we keep going hunting for something new. Yeah. I think that's, uh, I think that's true. Yeah. I, I played with it a little bit when I saw it show up in the outline and it looks cool, but I, I just need more power. You know, yep. I mean, every time I try these apps out, you know, there, there are features that I rely upon in OmniFocus that just aren't there and, and I'm not willing to give them up yet. Um, this is a, another instance of useful complexity to me. Oh, yeah. And and Connected, we spoke about that with Mike, where he really has leaned into perspectives in a yeah. way and, and building those on multiple tags. And like OmniFocus gives you like all the building blocks for that sort of stuff. There's a reason there's so many mail clients and so many task managers and so many browsers and like so many text editors because everyone wants different things. And, you know, that's totally fine, turns out. The OmniFocus feature that I, I, it baffles me that every task manager app doesn't try to ape this feature is the review mechanism where you can take on a project by project basis and say, I want to review this every week or every six months. And you press a button and it shows you all the projects that are up for review. And I use that all the time. It, it helps me make sure, again, nothing drops through the cracks. And to my knowledge, there's not a single other application, task manager application that even tries to do that. I don't know why. Uh, so I'm doing the same thing with like trying something interesting. And the one that I've been looking at is Sorted, uh, Sorted 3, which is kind of a combination of a task manager and calendar app. And it's really built around the concept of time blocking, you know, where you can set tasks with blocks of time attached to them. And then the app will let you move the blocks around very easily. So like if you really want to do time blocking, this app is is really built for you because you can, at the beginning of the day, you can press a button and say, here are my blocks of four hours worth of tasks. I want to have a 15 minute break between each block. I'm going to start at 10 a.m. and it'll go ahead and set all those blocks out. And it'll even check with your calendar and block around existing appointments so like if you have a podcast recording or a meeting or whatever, it won't put a block on top of that. It'll move it till afterwards. And then as you go through the day, it's very easy to move the blocks. Like if something comes up and you need to, you know, move it back or move it to tomorrow or whatever, it does that for you too. So it's like a combination time blocking tool and task management tool. And I mentioned it in my newsletter a couple months ago that I was looking into it and I've heard back from many listeners that are readers of the newsletter that really are digging it. And they're like, dude, this is it, man. And a lot of people are, are using this as their combination calendar task management tool. And they're very happy with it. Just, you know, because of the, that response, I've been looking at it more seriously and it's, it's just a really interesting app. I mean, it kind of scratches an itch that no other app does. Have you ever played with this one? Yeah, I played with it after it was in your newsletter. And I think I think it got mentioned on a previous episode of uh, of MPU as well. 
and yeah, I mean, I've never come across an app quite like it. Now, I'm not a big block scheduler, nor do I really have a tendency to mix my task and calendar items. You know, I have like big blocks of yeah. like record MPU and like the tasks just get yeah. done when I'm not doing that. But if you want that combined, like this feels like a pretty unique tool, which is cool. Yeah, it is. And and like historically, because I do block schedule, I call it hyper scheduling. There's a whole thread at Max Sparky on it. But historically, the way I do that is I just make a block in my calendar. Like if uh, Steven says, hey, can you write a contract for me? I'll have a two hour block that says write Steven's contract. And that way it actually gets done, you know, but. The, uh, as I as I've talked about on the Focus podcast, tasks are infinite and time is finite. You know, so the rubber meets the road when you assign you know blocks of time to your calendar. That's the stuff you're actually going to do, and uh, it's real key to me because that's how I actually get field guides produced. If I don't put them on the calendar, I never work on them. Um, but historically, the way I did this was just with calendar um, entries, and I've got all the stuff in OmniFocus already, so. Um, the question in my mind is, is sorted a useful bit of complexity or is it just more noise for me? Because I would not be moving my thousands of tasks out of OmniFocus and try and manage them in sorted. It's the wrong tool for that. And I would still be using a calendar, you know. So do I want to have this this middle ground tool for like big projects that I put in sorted, but they're also already in OmniFocus? I honestly, I probably won't, you know, I mean, I've been trying it for the last week and, um, and I, I totally get why people see this as the end all be all. That's the reason I wanted to talk about it on the show. Cause I think there'll be listeners for whom this is the perfect tool, but I think with the degree of, um, various commitments I have, probably the way I'll do this is just continue to put the blocks in my calendar, I guess we'll see, but, but it's a good app. It's actively developed. They have versions on the Mac and iOS and uh, it really, I love it when somebody tries to do something different in the productivity space. And uh, this one, this one does that. One other thing I've been playing with a lot lately is Alfred. You know, we did a whole show on it, Yeah, but I, um, I, I wanted to up my, uh, my plugin game. And there were a couple things that I do frequently, like, I want to open a client folder and um, there, if I have it in iCloud or just anywhere on my drive, there's a plugin and I'll put a link in the show notes where you can have it search a specific folder. So if I just activate Alfred and then hit command space and hit CL for client and then a space and I type in the name, it searches only my client folders and displays those folders so I can jump straight to them, which is pretty clever. There's a similar one because I'm moving data into DevonThink for DevonThink, and I'll put a link in for that one. But the killer plugin for me is I found an OmniFocus plugin for Alfred that is just, man, this is a banger. If, if you type .f space, it searches folders. If you dot, type .p space, it searches projects. But it allows me to navigate to anywhere in my OmniFocus library with just a few keystrokes in Alfred. And... Since I started using that, it I just can't get over how I haven't you know how I could live without it now. Yeah, that's cool. I'm looking at this now. It looks very extensive. Yeah, it's amazing. And um, you know, th- there are some developers out there that are just crushing it with these little Alfred plugins, and I don't think they get enough attention. 
that's one of the beauties of it is that it is uh, so extensible. Yeah. I wanted to check in with you also on Obsidian. I mean, we just published that show last week, but you are just kind of getting your feet wet. Now you've uh, spent another week in it. Um, what's the trend line? Yeah, I think the trend line is, I I think what I'm learning is I just don't have a lot of notes that benefit from the backlinking. Sure. And that's fine because the it being marked down in a bunch of folders is really cool. And so... I haven't really moved the needle either way towards staying or leaving, but I do think that it's sort of primary attraction to a lot of people isn't a quite a great fit for me at this point. So I don't know. Uh, it, it makes me miss envy alt <laughs> more than I thought I would. Uh, Cause sure. I used to be big, a big envy alt user back in the day, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm still putting some stuff in it and playing with it and seeing maybe where I have, related data but also keeping in mind what you said where that needs to happen organically so i feel like obsidian is one of those apps that just requires a lot more time to see if you actually like it as opposed to like trying a new twitter client yeah and brett and fletcher penny are closing in on releasing the successor to envy so maybe that's where you end up ultimately who knows i'm looking forward to seeing that well, the nice thing is Obsidian is, once again, just a collection of Markdown files. So if you have to move, you just move a folder and you're good to go. Or actually, you could run them both if you just point them both at the same yeah. folder. Yeah, just have uh, multiple ways in. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by The IntraZone. If you're looking for a new podcast to listen to, and that's always a fun thing to do, uh, check out The IntraZone. It's a bi-weekly podcast with conversations and interviews on how technologies like Microsoft SharePoint, OneDrive, and related tools can work for you and your business. You'll hear from guest experts behind the scenes and out in the field, so you can see how SharePoint fits into your everyday work life to easily share and manage content, knowledge, and applications. Each show covers a bunch of segments like news and announcements, focused topics, guests, FAQs, and much more. And the topics are really interesting. They get into AI and machine learning. These are sort of words that get thrown around the industry, but the IntraZone gets into how they can really work for you, how you can leverage them in your organization. They also have episodes about classic to modern migration and how security and compliance are built into these tools top to bottom, a really big deal for a lot of companies. So go and listen to it now. Just search for the IntraZone wherever you get your podcasts. That's I-N-T-R-A-Z-O-N-E, or click the link in the show notes to check it out. Our thanks to the IntraZone by Microsoft SharePoint for the support of the show and Relay FM. Steven, what are you playing with these days? I got a couple things. Uh, the first is the Hoverbar Duo iPad stand. Uh, this has been reviewed over on Mac Stories, and Jason reviewed it at Six Colors. Uh, but it is this new iPad stand from 12 South and yeah. it's got a big foot and it's got this arm that's adjustable and you can stick your iPad in it. And it, it kind of turns your iPad into like an old iMac G4 where you can like put the screen where yeah. you, where you want it. You can hunker down or have it upright. And I don't, I mean, I've talked about this before. I don't use my iPad as a productivity tool hardly ever, but there are times where I want my iPad uh, accessible and visible when I'm at my desk. Like if I'm waiting on a package I need to sign for, 
I will have it open yeah. like with my front camera loaded up and just kind of keep an eye out for the delivery person. Or if I am doing something where uh, maybe I'm watching video and taking a bunch of notes, uh, having sidecar open is handy. There's several different uses for this. Uh, but I really just want to check this out because I've tried some iPad stands in the past and none of them really did it for me. But this thing is pretty sweet. Uh, it's heavy, so it's not going to like fall over. I mean, 12 South makes nice stuff. Uh, and so it's not like a daily thing for me because I don't sit in my iPad and use it like I do my computer, but it's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. It also has a clamp, so you can clamp it to your desk if you don't want to use the big base. That's kind of cool. Yeah, so you can unscrew the base and then, yeah, put it like a, you know, like a microphone stand or something, clamp it down. And that comes in the box. You don't have to choose, which I think is nice. You know, you don't have to say, oh, I want the foot. And then if you want the other thing later, then you're out of luck. So they both come with it. It's 80 bucks, which like you really need to want (laughs) an iPad stand to get this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. but it's a, uh, it's a pretty cool accessory. The iPad stand to end all iPad stands. You know what? I think this would be useful if, um, you, uh, like I, I put my fancy camera and connected it to my Mac for some, uh, some zoom calls I'm doing. I want to look better than the, you know, than the lousy camera. Yeah. So I've been using my good camera, but the problem is I keep looking at the screen on my Mac. So mm-hmm. I could see myself like putting, the iPad right under the lens of my fancy camera and just using sidecar to run a zoom call on that screen right under the camera with this thing. is So it looks like it's pretty, uh, you can go pretty high with it if you want. Yeah, you can. That'd be a great use for it. Uh, you know, there've been times during the pandemic where I've given talks over zoom to like various Mac user groups or like to uh, the journalism school yeah. at the university and you always have that problem where you don't want to look at the camera. And so this could be a great way to, to get around that. Nice. Well, 12 South makes good stuff. It, it the, you know, you pay for it, but you kind of get a quality that you just don't get with the, you know, typical Amazon vendor. So yeah, so this looks cool. And because it uses a clamp to hold onto the iPad, it should be pretty good for a long time with various iPad sizes. So it's not one of those things that if they make the 11 inch iPad Pro, you know, 11.5 inch iPad Pro and it's slightly bigger than your stands busted. Yeah. And looking at this, I guess, so you can't keep the pencil attached when you put it in this though, right? Uh, that's right. Uh, so you, you, you've got to stick your pencil somewhere else. And so they have, if you use the foot, there's a groove carved into it and the pencil will sit in and not roll away. But you can't charge the pencil while you're using this. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, that that's a nice looking iPad stand. Um, something I've been using is I bought a a, a mechanical keyboard. I had kind of given up on them for a long time, but I don't know. You know, sometimes you just you finish a big project and you're like, I'm going to buy myself something. And uh, and I talked to our our mutual friend Mike Hurley, who turned me on to like a lot of websites and like. I quickly realized, you know, keyboards are definitely something you can spend way too much money on. Oh yeah. <laughs> but the uh the one I ended up getting was just under a hundred bucks. It's the Keychron K eight. And um it's a really nice keyboard. It, it's a it's a 10 keyless keyboard, so you still have arrow keys and stuff over on the right side, but you don't have the the number pad. Mm-hmm. And um the Keychron has got it in various configurations. I bought the one with the hot swappable switches. 
So you can actually pull the key switches out and put different ones in if you want. And that came with RGB. Like, it's very fancy. It has lots of color. And if you want, I actually keep that turned off. And then I got mine with brown switches. And you know what? It's kind of fun using a mechanical keyboard again. And and the other nice thing about these key calling keyboards is you can pull the keys off very easily. And you can buy key sets. So Mike has turned me on to a couple. I ordered one that is a Star Wars-themed key set, but it doesn't ship until, like, next year. So yeah. Mike told me that that's just the way it is. He's just got to, like, go with it. So at some point, I'll have Star Wars keys. But anyway, it's kind of fun. It's And, it, and the reason I bought this one is it wasn't going to break the bank, but it had a Bluetooth radio built in. And, but it, you can you can use it with a plugged in wire or with Bluetooth, and so long as Bluetooth is working in my M1 Mac, the Bluetooth is fine and fast, and I, uh, I kind of like it. So I don't use it for uh, for uh, Zoom calls or anything where I'm talking to somebody else because it's loud enough that it's distracting. Right. And, and if you've got somebody on the other end of the phone and you hear them clicking away, you're like, are they actually even listening to me? Usually, I'm actually taking notes about our call, but but I, I'll use a silent keyboard for that. But it's kind of fun, like I said, getting a keyboard with some travel on it. Again, I haven't used one like this in a long time. Yeah, I've got their K2 keyboard on my PC. Um, and it's it's fantastic. Mine has the optical switches, so it's not as much um, noise or travel. But uh, yeah. I've been... Uh, I don't want to type on it every day. I, I really prefer the Apple, the lowest, flattest keyboard I can find for my desktop yeah. but on the pc where i don't i don't work every day it's kind of fun to have something uh something different over there yeah i, I actually changed the switches out on uh, mike schmidt's device i put holy pandas in it which are a fancy switch which are just a little bit nicer you can really feel a difference so that that's kind of tricky it's kind of fun and pulling your keyboard apart is a fun hobby but but there's no soldering involved or anything i i, I feel like keychron has really found a nice like niche in the market where if you want to buy a mechanical keyboard but not go crazy with cost, they've got some, I think, decent quality keyboards. And they've got a whole bunch of different, like if you want one with a tin key, they've got that. If you want one that has almost no keys on it, they've got that too and everything in between. Yeah, I think they are a great way to see if this is something that you're interested in at all, right? It's a good place to start. Yeah, yeah. One other thing I have been playing with as we start to see the end of pandemic heading in, hopefully, um, we're going to, in theory, be able to go to Disneyland again in a month or two. Uh, whether we can actually get in is another story. But I've been looking at all the camera stuff I haven't been using for the last year. And I bought, before this started, a, a 360 camera. And I actually made it as a gift guide pick a while back. But I got it out again because I haven't used it since the pandemic started. And I really love this. It's an Insta360 camera, something I've had around a while. But, you know, you kind of forget how fun these things are when you don't use it very often. But it's got soft. It takes a 360 video so you can walk around with it and get video in front of you and behind you. And then in the editing software, you can like pan it around or you can even just get the whole thing at once. And they've got a really cool feature in the software because there's a, a handle you put on the bottom and the software kind of like wipes out the handle on the bottom. So you, it, it doesn't look like you're holding it. It's almost like a, a little personal drone flying around you. It's it's amazing. 
Yeah, all the footage I've seen uh, from these online, <laughs> it is really cool. Yeah, I I mean, if you uh, if you feel like you're going to be able to go outside soon and you want to get yourself a toy for some interesting photography, um, do that. I, I'm going to take some at Disneyland if I can ever get back in, and I'll. I think there's even a YouTube setting where I can post some of it to YouTube and you can see it. So if I do that, I'll I'll let you know. Yeah, I think it'd be cool to show people. Uh, one last thing I've been playing with is um, I made some art, kind of. Some people may not call it art, but uh, there'll be a picture in the show notes to uh, I saw this a Mac Mini that I turned into a, a mobile or like a Dreamcatcher. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, what? What is this? I first I'm like, did he like paint it or something? Is he trying to dry it? This is art. Uh, I guess I'm gonna put it art in quotes in the show notes. So I'll leave it up to the, <laughs> the listener to decide. So this Mac mini has a lot of history. Uh, it was a, I think it's a, I forget what year it is. I think it's a 2008. It's, it's one of the first, or I guess 2010. It's one of the, I'm trying to look in Mac tracker as I speak. It's one of the first unibody Mac minis. I think it's the first, unibody mac mini without the optical drive so that would put it in 2010 or 2011 mid 2011 this was my brother's first video editing computer for his non-profit uh, operation broken silence sure so he's it for years he cut his first two documentaries on this mac mini and then he went to an imac and i bought it off him and it was relay's first live stream server for years, uh, really until only about a year ago. Uh, and we switched to something else for our live stream. And this had been at Mac Stadium, and I just got it back from them. Uh, and I was like, you know what? This, it's still, you know, it's it deserves to, uh, a, a place of honor because it's had a long life, a hard life. It was a video editing machine, and then it lived in a data center. And I was kind of thinking about what I could do with it. Because I didn't just want to put it on the shelf, right? I wanted to, sure. I wanted to do something cool with it, and then I had this idea of like a, a mobile, you know, the thing you put like over a crib, and it, you know, maybe it's got little elephants that dance around, or it makes music or something. Uh, so I did the very industrial version of it using uh, like wound steel, uh, steel wire, and it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. on a piece of pipe. And anyway, so I got it hanging in my office now, and uh, us right over there by the streaming PC, and. It's uh, it's kind of like all disassembled. I, I like it. Uh, although I think I would have put it in one of those shadow boxes. Yeah, disassembled. I, yeah, I thought about that too, and that may be like a version two of it. Um, we will we will see. Part of it is like I've got no free wall space, so it's hanging over some acoustic yeah. foam right now. But uh, yeah, that that may be uh, what it turns into at some point. But uh, felt like it should be should be honored somehow. You should also have like you, your brother, and Mike sign it, you know, because this is a big part of your lives. There you go. <laughs> Get a little sharpie out. Why not? Yeah, I like it. All right. Well, we'll definitely put that in the show notes because I I haven't made any art. Uh, I played my saxophone poorly, but I don't I haven't created any art. Yeah, so. I just went to Home Depot and bought a bunch of like you know steel wire stuff, and which is pretty easy to work with. And uh, yeah, you got little clamps on there, and you know it took you know couple hours kind of figure out what I wanted, but so yeah, so now it's all uh disassembled. And that's all there is inside of Mac Mini, by the way. <laughs> They're not complicated. Not much. Not much. <laughs> uh-uh. 
I like it, Stephen. I approve. Thanks. Uh, I'm glad someone does. It wasn't murder. <laughs> I mean, it would still yeah. work if I put it back together. Probably. Yeah. In theory. In theory. <laughs> well, either way, uh, we actually always get so much feedback from the listeners, and we always appreciate it. Um, I love doing these feedback shows because there's there's always a lot on my mind, and I want to get it off with the audience and. And we did that today. Thanks to our sponsors, 1Password, Smile, Devin, Think, and Microsoft. Uh, we are the Mac Power Users. You can find us over at relay.fm slash MPU. You can find those forums we were talking about at talk.macpowerusers.com. Don't forget to check out all this great merchandise. We've got a URL in the link. Get your mug, get your shirt, but get your mug before they run out. See you next time.